My name is Jason Alexander, the star of Bedtime Stories of the Ingleside Inn, a brand new scripted comedy podcast in which I play Palm Springs hotelier Mel Haber, who in the 1970s turned the rundown Ingleside Inn into the best-kept secret getaway for Hollywood's elite thieves and mobsters. The series also stars Brian Jordan Alvarez, Michael McKean, Richard Kind, Lance Bass, and more. You can find Bedtime Stories of the Ingleside Inn on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to follow the show so you never miss an episode. This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. For those who've been kind enough to ask, I'm okay. I'm really, I'm kind of doing okay. Overwhelmed, but hanging in there. I've been in court a lot lately dealing with Trump matters in both the New York AG Tish James $250 million plus civil fraud lawsuit against the Trump Organization, and then Trump's lawsuit against me. That's a $500 million case. But it's fine. I'll just keep telling the truth and doing my part to see that justice is done. And I think that's the best that any of us can do right now. Just keep telling the truth. Donald Trump, if you can hear us, please, Donald Trump, please save me. Please save me, Donald Trump, please. I'm asking you. Now, Trump, on the other hand, has no relationship to the truth. So it's not going to go well for him. His lawyer in the E. Jean Carroll civil rape trial, Joe Tacopina, was rebuked several times last week. Because Trump, who has been a no-show in court, likes to defend himself via social media in the court of public opinion. So Trump called the case a scam and worse. And no-nonsense Judge Kaplan was having none of it. Takapina promised to get Trump to stop posting, and then, of course, Trump did it again. And so did his idiot son, Eric. What can you do? It's just who they are. Knowingly uses intimidation, threatens or corruptly persuades another person, or attempts to do so with the intent to influence, delay, or prevent the testimony of a person in an official proceeding, which is precisely what Donald Trump is doing. That person is guilty of witness tampering, and it carries up to 20 years in prison. But by the end of the week, Carol had given an emotional testimony and withstood Takapina's insulting cross-examination. I'm not beating you up. I'm asking you questions, Miss Carol. Through tears, Carol asserted, I'm telling you he raped me. Whether I screamed or not, I don't need an excuse for not screaming. Carol has been endlessly attacked on social media, not just by Trump, but by his low-life followers. Trump, she testified, that once the trial started, fresh insults rolled in from strangers, labeling her, something that I know a lot about, liar, slut, ugly, old. But she concluded, and I quote, I couldn't be more proud to be here. Well, good on you, Eugene, and keep up the good fight. The trial will resume on Monday and expected to wrap up by the end of this week. Now, in the meantime, Trump has been very, very busy communicating with his peeps on Truth Social. Last Thursday, he said, and I quote, Mike Pussy Pence testified for hours today for traitor D.A. Jack Smith. Now, I knew I should have picked Sarah Palin. 
She knows how to keep her mouth shut. End quote. I mean, seriously, whoa, what the fuck? Sounds like a confession to me. January 6th was a dark day in the history of the United States Capitol. But thanks to the swift action of the Capitol Police and federal law enforcement, violence was quelled. The Capitol was secured. And that same day, we reconvened the Congress and did our duty under the Constitution and the laws of the United States. According to his book, Pence told the president over and over again, I can't do what you're asking me to do. But Trump doesn't like no for an answer. And we all know what happened on January 6th, when despite all odds, Mike Pence withstood the insurrection attempt and certified Joe Biden's 2020 victory. Bring out Pence! Bring him out! Bring out Pence! Bring him out! Bring out Pence! And now, all this time later, Pence has finally spoken with Jack Smith, the DOJ prosecutor in charge of the January 6th investigation. Under oath, for over seven hours, and with no executive privilege to protect him. This is the first time the former vice president shared his own personal experiences to anyone connected with law enforcement. Prior to this, he refused a congressional subpoena from the January 6th committee, saying that they had no right to his testimony. Today, roughly 30 Washington, D.C. residents got to hear his unvarnished account, or one that wasn't edited for a book. Mike Pence is at the top of the pyramid, and speculation is that once Smith is done with him, Smith will wrap up his investigation and indict Trump on charges ranging from obstruction of an official proceeding to conspiracy to defraud the United States and the insurrection. Jack Smith. He's a Trump hater. His wife's a Trump hater. His family's a Trump hater. They all hate Trump. They hate him with a passion. They'll do anything they can to hurt Trump. All Smith needs is evidence of Trump's intent to overturn the 2020 election. And it seems crazy that a guy that Trump called a pussy and then abandoned to be murdered by an angry mob would still be reticent to testify. But Pence is still groveling to the MAGA base, and I ask you why? Well, maybe because he has delusions of the presidency still dancing in his fucking head. Or maybe he's just worried that a nutso from the Trump cult will actually this time kill him. You heard those chants. That was terrible. I mean, was, you know, the... He could have... Well, the people were very angry. They are saying, hang my Because it's, it's common sense, John. It's common sense that you're supposed to protect. How can you, if you know a vote is fraudulent, right? Yeah. How can you pass on a fraudulent vote to Congress? Meanwhile, Trump is hanging out with known insurrectionists, hugging convicted rioters at a New Hampshire rally on Thursday and signing the backpack of a woman who climbed a scaffolding on the 6th and said she wanted a front row seat for Mike Pence's execution. Trump was caught on tape saying to his seditious pals, hang in there, you might get a pardon. You guys are going to be all right. I mean, really? What, what the fuck do you think he did for you? Because a lot of those guys are doing significant time in prison. And the answer is, he's doing shit for you. And several Proud Boys are currently awaiting jury's verdicts to seal their fate. And while Trump and his allies continue to downplay the gravity of that attack on our democracy, 
while they continue to hand out pens and hugs to the people responsible for it, special counsel investigators are getting to the bottom of what happened and seeking justice. So are they gonna be all right? Will their jobs and families be waiting when they return from a long stretch in the pen? No, and I can tell you from experience, they will not be all right. But as time goes on and more and more of these fucking cultists suffer real pain because of their blind faith, they will eventually turn on Trump. Maybe not today or tomorrow, but it's coming, folks. I promise you, it's coming. The good guys are winning. And maybe it doesn't feel like we're winning if you're using the current iteration of the Supreme Court as an example. But even there, some headway is being made to hold them accountable. Justice Alito, the most vocal of the six right-wing justices, told the Wall Street Journal on Friday that he was pretty sure he knows who was responsible for leaking the Dobbs decision, but that there wasn't enough evidence to bear his suspicion out. I mean, really? Come on, really? Then why didn't he get the court to conduct a proper investigation? I think it's flabbergasted. The sense of grievance that was on display in this article was really uh, uh, stunning, in, in, to my mind. Yeah, it, it was astonishing. I mean, does he not have an aide who can tell them, like, hey, dude, you, you have the option to just keep your mouth shut. You don't have to embarrass yourself in an interview that's going to be published in a newspaper. Alito told the journal, quote, believes that the motive for the leak was to prevent the early draft of Dobbs from becoming the court's ultimate ruling. Well, that obviously didn't work. And Alito went on to say it was used by people on the outside to try to intimidate the court. I mean, oh boy, there's a lot to fucking unpack there, especially since it's widely believed that Alito himself leaked the draft to solidify the support of several justices who are on the fence about canceling abortion rights. And he also says uh, part of this was part of an effort to prevent the Dobbs draft from becoming law, intimidate, intimidate them to changing it, or if you assassinate one of them, a Democratic president nominates to a Democratic uh, Senate a democratic justice, and then there is no Dobbs decision reversal. Regardless of the identity of the leaker and their motive, a new book entitled Nine Black Robes claims the leak effectively froze the votes and prevented the opportunity for compromise in the weeks before the ruling. So Alito may have won the battle, but I don't think he'll win the war. None of these allegations are true. Correct. No doubt in your mind. Zero. I'm 100% certain. Not even a scintilla. Not a scintilla. 100% certain, Senator. You swear to God. I swear to God. So I have, Judge. Judge Kavanaugh, thank you very much. Hearing adjourned. Alito may be a self-righteous religious bigot, but on Friday, it was revealed by The Guardian that Brett Kavanaugh's ascension to the high court was completely manipulated by the Federalist Society. We could have guessed that, but now it's been confirmed. The 2018 investigation into Kavanaugh was deeply flawed and ignored all the signs of his checkered past including a public confession by Christine Blasey Ford, who credibly claimed that he sexually assaulted her when they were in high school. Other women, too, who came forward were completely ignored by the FBI. I mean, seriously, what the f-
fuck? Breaking news here on CNN. A brand new allegation of sexual misconduct has now surfaced against Supreme Court nominee Judge Brett Kavanaugh. These new accusations appear in the pages of The New Yorker magazine, the product of an investigation by Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Ronan Farrow. Chuck Grassley, then chairman of the Senate Judiciary, released a report that included an unverified claim that one of Kavanaugh's accusers, a fellow Yale graduate named Deborah Ramirez, was likely mistaken when she alleged that Kavanaugh exposed himself to her at a dormitory party because other Yale students were allegedly known for such act. No, according to new evidence, well, it was, yeah, Kavanaugh. I think it's important to make sure you're properly introduced. Uh, And I have to- I was going to introduce her, but if you want to introduce her, I'll be glad to have you do that. But I want you to know I didn't forget to do it because I would do that just as she was about to speak. Thank you. You have another 30 seconds now because I was rudely interrupted. Something happened here in between on your side that the whole country, well, not the whole country should have known about it. No, not know about it. We should have investigated it. Congressman Sheldon Whitehouse's office is expected to release a report into the FBI's handling of the Kavanaugh investigation by the end of this year. And a new documentary about Kavanaugh debuted at Sundance and is expected to be released later this year as well. Now we need to talk about Kevin. Just want to give you a little reminder because leading up into the midterms, all your politicians was running on the fact they were going to fix crime, they were going to fix the border, they were going to fix inflation, they were going to fix gas prices. Yet they've been in power for. Ooh, I don't know, a good six months now anyway. They've yet to present a single bill to address any of those fucking things. However, they did pass a budget which calls for cuts to veterans, education, health care, law enforcement, border patrol, social security, benefits, Medicare, Medicaid. <clears throat> When the fuck are you people going to get it? Hmm? The New York Times reported on Friday that Speaker McCarthy can't bring his conference together behind a budget plan. Well, surprise, surprise. Kevin wanted to pass a bill demanding major concessions from President Biden before the Republicans would agree to raise the debt ceiling. He was hoping to restore the old Republican idea that the only way to make the economy work is to slash taxes, business regulations, and government spending. To raise the federal debt ceiling by $1.5 trillion passes, among other things, the increase would come with federal spending cuts, clawing back unspent COVID-19 funds, uh, tougher work requirements for food stamp uh, recipients, but Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer called the bill dead on arrival, and President Biden has said he would veto it if it reached his desk. Join us now, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. You said you were going to be able to pass this. I, I think it's been all downhill since those 15 votes. I mean, that was that was uh, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Is, is that it, uh, Mr. Speaker? I think grit and perseverance uh, matters in life. So Kevin barely gets his bill through by begging the House MAGAs to ignore what the bill says and just focus on the symbolic victory of showing Biden that they can agree on something. I mean, anything. But there's no world in which Democrats will agree to support the exact bill that the GOP will now send off to die in the Senate. So, Kevin still is a fight ahead of him. And I'll remind you, my friends, that all it takes is one disgruntled member of his caucus to file a discharge petition, 
and he's fucking gone. But when the chips are down, do you know what Kevin does have? Well, he has Marjorie Toilet Green. The problem is, is people like you need to admit that you're just a political activist, not a teacher, not a mother, and not a medical doctor. And now for the main event. Today we welcome to the show one of the most recognized journalists in the country, Jeffrey Tubin. Tubin is the chief legal analyst for CNN Worldwide and a staff writer for The New Yorker. Before joining CNN, he worked for six years as a legal analyst for ABC News. He has written articles on and provided legal analysis for several significant cases, including the O.J. Simpson murder case, the Kenneth Starr investigation of Clinton White House, and the trials of Michael Jackson and George Zimmerman. As an author, he has written a number of best-selling books, including The Real Story of Sex Scandal That Nearly Brought Down a President. The Nine, Inside the Secret World of the Supreme Court, and The Oath, The Obama White House and the Supreme Court. His book, The Run of His Life, The People vs. O.J. Simpson, inspired the television series, The People vs. O.J. Simpson, American Crime Stories. The series went on to bang nine Emmy Awards. I mean, we can't wait to hear what Tubin has on his mind, so let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so Jeffrey Tubin, so great to have you on Mea Culpa. Look, I think it's just important before we start. Obviously, you know, I was involved in what has been termed a scandal. You were also involved in a scandal. And I want to say this. I have deeply respected your work since the very first time I ever read it. And my God, I can't even imagine, what is it, like 30 years ago uh, when I was really, I mean, could you imagine the two of us with our gray hair? You know, I've always respected your work and I applauded and I said it actually on television when I too was on CNN. Um, I applauded the fact that they turned around and they said he's been absent from our network for long enough and you came out, you apologized for, you know, the incident, calling it deeply moronic and indefensible. You owned it. Right. Which is very similar to my scenario. Right. We'll call it our joint redemption tour. (laughs) And I give you a lot of credit for keeping your chin up. You may remember right after this incident, I called you up and I had said to you, I've always respected your work. Can't understand the scenario. But at the end of the day, you keep your chin up because you're a good man. And I still stand by that. Well, that, that's that's nice of you to say, Michael. And and it, 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 the, the phrase deeply moronic uh, remains uh, highly applicable to my to my situation. And and I recognize that, you know, as we used to say in school, um, that's on my permanent record. But my hope is it's not the entirety of my permanent per, permanent record. And. You know, your, you know, much more public, um, I mean, mine mine was public as well, but, you know, you are now a major national figure involved in um, a a high stakes situation involving a past and perhaps future president of the United States. Um, It's different, but, you know, I, I think 
one of the things people do respect, uh, and I've, I learned this as a journalist and I learned this as a subject, is, you know, when you do acknowledge without equivocation, without weasel words, uh, wrongdoing, you know, I, I think people people can appreciate that. And uh, we've both done it in very different circumstances. And uh, fortunately, we've both gotten to get on with our lives. Yeah. And look, like I said, yeah, and what you just said, we both have, you know, families. The family suffer as a direct result, too. The part that is the most disgraceful is usually you get these uh, individuals who want to tout themselves as religious. And yet they forget the term redemption. Uh, they forget accountability that doesn't matter simply because they don't like you because you're harsh on their fuhrer right that uh me for example that they're i'm harsh uh and i call out the truth as it relates to donald trump so therefore i should never be forgiven and the funniest part when it comes to my scenario so many on social media oh convicted liar right felon and so on. yes i went to prison in part for things that I had done at the direction of, in coordination with, and for the benefit of Donald J. Trump. And the lie, as I talk about all the time, was also done at the direction of, in coordination with, and for the benefit of Donald J. Trump, which was the number telling the, the Senate uh, how many times I had spoken to Donald about a failed real estate project in Moscow. I said three, the real answer was ten. And then I had to plead guilty to that. It's bullshit. And, you know, these people just refuse to let it go. You know, it's amazing. I mean, we were talking about this a little before we went on the air. I mean, one, one of the really astonishing facts about Donald Trump is how practically every person who has had close contact with him, especially in recent years, has suffered for it. I mean, and, and, you know, I include you in that group. I think of someone like Rudy Giuliani, who was, you know, known as America's mayor. Sure, he didn't get elected president, but he was a respected national figure. Now he's under criminal investigation. How about a thousand people in the Capitol who acted implicitly, if not explicitly, mm -hmm. at Donald Trump's direction, all of whom now have criminal records, many of whom are, are in prison now, and, um, and and think about even someone like Devin Nunez, this congressman who gave up his seat in Congress yep. to run Truth Social, which seems destined to be a, a failed business like so many of Trump's businesses. It, it's just this man is a cancer to the people closest to him and how he continues to attract people close to him is is really pretty breathtaking to me. Yeah, he's a cancer to this entire country. And in fact, he's a cancer to the concept of democracy. But let me move on. And I okay. want to talk about because we have so much yes, to talk about. Because, yes, so Jeff, recently you wrote this excellent opinion piece in the New York Times. And it was called The Cost of Merrick Garland's Silence Around the Trump Investigation. Now, in that article, you say that Garland is responsible not just for bringing cases, but also for warning the public of ongoing threats. Now, you know, Garland's silence protects the law, but it also misses the chance to defend democracy and to hold Donald accountable. So what should we what should he have done? 
What's wrong here? Well, um, you know, as, as you were describing that in the context of this conversation, you know, Merrick Garland, who is someone I, I know well and have known for many years, could ac accurately be described as the anti-Donald Trump. He is the opposite of Donald Trump in so many ways. And I mean that almost entirely as praise uh, because he is highly ethical, intelligent, serious, and and uh, has a great reverence and respect for the rule of law. But one way I think he errs too much on the side of restraint and caution is in his role as the public voice of the rule of law in America. You know, he's not just some line prosecutor who works in a courtroom. He is the attorney general of the United States, and he has the opportunity, and I would suggest the obligation, to... Uh, be a spokesman for the rule of law. And here we have, you know, Donald Trump traveling, traveling the country, whether he's in Waco or or any anywhere else or, or, or on social media, basically saying that the January 6th people are political prisoners and um, the, the election um, was was marred by fraud and he really won. And without jeopardizing Donald Trump's fair trial. Uh, opportunities, if, if he's tried at all, uh, Merrick Garland as attorney general could be traveling the country, not all the time, but saying occasionally, look, we have a rule of law in this country and it, it cannot be subject to thousands of people uh, storming the Capitol. It cannot be subject to lies about who won who won the election. It the, Being attorney general of the United States is not just about bringing court cases. It's about being a spokesman for the rule of law. And uh, I think that's a real missed opportunity of uh, of Garland's tenure. I mean, I would consider Garland to be the anti-Bill Barr, even more so, right, than, uh, than Donald Trump. Bill Barr didn't give a shit about the rule of law. He didn't give a flying fuck about people's First Amendment or their constitutional rights. His sole purpose in accepting the position as attorney general was to be the lapdog and the, uh, the enforcer for the president, for Donald J. Trump, but, regardless but, of how devious and disgraceful the request is. But, but just to go back to the point I was making earlier, I agree with you that Bill Barr acted like a lapdog um, disgraced the office of attorney general of the United States, but that still wasn't enough for Donald Trump. Donald Trump has, 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 um, you know, thrown Bill Barr overboard because there are some lies that were too crazy and too wrong, even for Bill Barr. So Bill Barr had to say, like any sane person would say, you know, Joe Biden won the 2020 election and for telling the truth, He's been cast out. And so he, his reputation has suffered like so many people uh, around uh, around Trump. It is just breathtaking how uh, anyone um, who, who has gotten close to this, to, to Donald Trump, has suffered because of it. But let's not forget that Bill Barr only came clean 
after Trump lost the election to Biden. Good he point. didn't come clean during his tenure while he was there, which he should have, because he does not represent the president of the United States. He represents, as you appropriately put it, he represents the people of the United States of America. Instead, Donald used him as a judge, a jury, and an executioner. They used, and as I wrote in my book, Revenge, he weaponized the Department of Justice against his critics. And Bill Barr was the lynch, he was the linchpin that, that actually effectuated all of this. We saw that even, for example, in Jeffrey Berman's book, where he acknowledged that he was being pressured by main justice, by, what's his name, O'Callaghan, who was directly working for uh, the AG, for, for Barr in that case, in order to whitewash the case that was against me, get rid of anything that had to do with Donald, no more calling Donald Trump and limit the number of times you call individual number one, get rid of the claims for the campaign finance violation, go after him for other stuff. And those other stuff were made up by the Southern District of New York. It is a horrible, horrible situation that I'm living with and I will continue to put this out there until such time as the lie, which is what happened to me, becomes the truth. The, the, the great reputation destroyer that is Donald Trump. You know, William Barr uh, was a respected figure uh, in, in American law before he, he agreed to become Donald Trump's attorney general. He demeaned himself. He degraded himself by how he conducted uh, the office. Because it turns out, you know, he, he wasn't as admirable a figure as many, many of us thought. But he also was afflicted with this cancer of people around Trump go, you know, wind up going in his ethical direction. It's it's a it's a it's a really amazing phenomenon. Look, we knew exactly what Bill Barr was going to be like as soon as he pulled that bullshit with the Mueller report. We knew exactly where his loyalty to, you know, lied. And it wasn't with the country. It was with one man. And that's a danger to democracy. That's the beginning to the end of democracy and to an autocracy. But I want to continue also because in that article, you talked a lot about Garland's experience with the Oklahoma City bomber. And you also wrote a book called Homegrown. And I said, I'm, I'm pretty much through it. I'm getting there. Um, about Timothy McVeigh. Now, you say the untold truth about Oklahoma should be a warning to us all. Yes. Um, Could you do me a favor and expound on sure. that? Sure. You know, to the extent Timothy McVeigh is remembered uh, today, um, he is remembered with the words anti-government, uh, lone wolf, uh, those sorts of descriptions are how he is remembered. What I was able to determine through, um, you know, going back over the story of the Oklahoma City bombing, which, you know, to remind people, took place on April 19th, 1995, 168 people killed, including 19 children. Um, the T Timothy McVeigh was not anti-government. He was anti the federal government of Bill Clinton. He was a right wing extremist. He was not some sort of anarchist. He was not like um, Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber, who was genuinely off on his own. Um, Ted uh, Timothy McVeigh was a guy who traveled the country listening to three hours of Rush Limbaugh every day. 
he was someone who used Hillary Clinton's photograph for target practice uh, when he was shooting his gun in the Kansas in, in Kansas fields. This guy was a right wing extremist. And if you look at his views, uh, whether it's about guns or the use of violence or kinship with uh, the the revolutionaries of the American Revolution, all of that is replicated with extraordinary precision in the modern um, uh, right-wing extremists, especially those who attacked the Capitol on January 6th. Yeah, I mean, it's exactly the same thing. So, you know, one of the things that, you know, obviously you talked about is he was completely obsessed with Waco. And they say it wasn't even just obsessed, it was beyond. And, you know, there's um, an analysis in terms of, you know, the, the book. To him, as they say, the armed intervention led by the ATF and FBI on the religious compound of the Branch Davidian sect in late February of 1993, right, represented every single thing that he hated passionately about the United States, right? Personal freedoms, government intervention and control, and most importantly, the right to possess and use firearms. It, it, We're it, seeing exactly that right now, whether it's Oath Keepers, whether it's the, um, you know, any of these uh, other sort of right-wing groups that the Marjorie Taylor Greens, or as we like to call it, Marjorie Toilet Greens, or Trump, or any of these other assholes, you know, this is what this is what they believe. You know, I think a, a, a lot a lot of people probably remember that McVeigh was so outraged by what happened in um, in uh, in Waco um, that uh, that was the reason why he set off the bomb on April nineteenth because it was the second anniversary of the raid by the FBI on, um, on on the compound there, which led to seventy six deaths. But it's important to remember also that as influential on McVeigh as Waco was, was that on September 13th, 1994, that was when Bill Clinton signed the assault weapons ban. That was the motivation mm -hmm. behind the bombing as much as Waco was. He was obsessed with guns and the need, uh, what he perceived as the need to be, maintain access to any gun, no matter how enormous or, or, or dangerous. And that, is part of the DNA that has continued to to pass through. If you if you look at the Oath Keepers, the Proud Boys, guns are at the center of their of their worldview, and it's only become more virulent and more passionate since 1995 when McVeigh uh, committed the bomb. Right. Though I think, if I'm not mistaken, not only of course did it knock out something like. 324 buildings in that 50 block area. That's how powerful that he made that rider truck in terms of as an explosive device. He killed 168 people. Yeah, I, and I think, uh, what, 15 of them, I think, were children. I mean, this is not, this is not a normal human being. And I don't care what your opinions are about government and gun control or sensible gun you know, regulation. I mean, this is an act of terrorism. I mean, it, it was it was a heinous act uh, of terrorism. But, you know, part of the story is, you know, McVeigh was an evil, evil man. But there was a kind of sinister intelligence about him. And the story of how he, with the uh, assistance of Terry Nichols, 
uh, built this bomb and assembled the ingredients and decided on Oklahoma City as his target and and uh, how they went about it is a kind of, I, I think, uh, is a fascinating story about how uh, determined people uh, can, can wreak havoc. Uh, McVeigh, unlike Nichols, had a real intelligence. It was obviously used for evil, evil purposes, but um, there was, uh, I found, a kind of fascination about him um, that, that he could pull something off almost single-handed like this. It's really not that difficult. In fact, from what I understand, there's a whole slew of, um, what do they call them, like uh, those, tr those tankers that are missing. And it's created a real serious situation for law enforcement because those tankers can be used as an explosive device. It doesn't take a genius like, you know, Timothy McVeigh to wreak havoc on the entire country or on top of the world. For example, you know, you take one of these, um, you take one of these vehicles and you make it into an explosive device and then you put it into a, um, uh, into a tunnel. Right. I mean, they've you, made you, movies but, about that with Sylvester Stallone. This but, is not this is not rocket science. But 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 it's even simpler than that. And if you look at how McVeigh's heirs, you know, the right wing violent extremists of today, all they need to do is go to a gun store and buy an AR an, an AR-15. And, it, it, you know, McVeigh was so angry about the assault weapons ban that took place in 1994. It expired 10 years later in 2004. That's when uh, assault weapons became um, so ubiquitous in, in this country. And if you look at the people who didn't want to go to the trouble of building a bomb, the, the, the guy in Uvalde, Texas, um, the, uh, the, Walmart, uh, the Walmart in El Paso, the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh, the, um, the supermarket in Buffalo. These people just got an AR-15 and, and started shooting. You don't even have to build a bomb. And that's what's so, what's so scary is how easy it is. I mean, the point you were making just about you don't have to be a genius. All you need to do is go to a gun store and it's very easy to buy an assault weapon in this country and it's getting it's easier e all the time. It's easier than people it's easier than people even know. You don't even need to go to a gun store anymore. Now you just go ahead and you go to one of these um you know these gun shows. The gun shows, yeah. You know, I remember when I was when I was living in Michigan, they had these gun shows in schools in the public school and they had <laughs> on full they display. Were in schools. In schools, they were on full display where you can buy, forget AR-15s, you could buy rocket launches, you could buy hand grenades, you could buy whatever you want. Now, I don't know if any of that stuff was operational, they were just, you know, paperweights, but whatever it is, it's insane. I mean, I, look, I am all about sensible gun regulation. I don't believe that there should be a ban on firearms. Nobody, nobody in their right mind believes that. Um, it's what the Republicans would like you know, people to believe that the Democrats are coming and we're taking away your guns. Well, Joe Biden's been in office now for over two years. How many guns has he taken away? Let, Why? Let, because he let, took away bump stocks? Let, let me give you an example of how the country has changed since 1995, uh, in particular, a state like Oklahoma, which is obviously a very conservative state. On April 19th, 1995, a, a great, great state trooper named Charlie Hanger stopped McVeigh 90 minutes uh, north of uh, 
uh, of Oklahoma City because he was driving a car without a license plate. Uh, He pulled him over. And when McVeigh got out of the car, uh, Charlie saw that um, there was a holster uh, against he he was he was um, he had a holster and it turns out he had a gun and he had a gun with no permit. And because he had a gun with no permit, Charlie Hanger took him in uh, where he was held long enough so that the 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 FBI found the rider truck who rented the truck and they realized it was McVeigh and he was arrested um, where he was being held on, on the gun charge. Today in Oklahoma, because of the victories of the gun lobby, you don't need a permit anymore if you're carrying a gun. So if McVeigh had been arrested today, all Charlie, Hank, Charlie Hanger could do was give him a ticket for not having uh, a license plate. He couldn't be arrested because you don't need a permit anymore. That's who's winning in this country, is the people who believe any sort of regulation of guns, uh, even that you have to get a permit for it, just like you need a permit to drive a car, but you can get a you can get a gun without any sort of background check. Yeah, it's stupid. I mean, I always say the same thing, unlike, you know, the former president, my former boss. I think we have the greatest law enforcement in the world. I think our FBI agents are the greatest. I wouldn't be listening to Putin over my law enforcement, especially, you know, not the FBI. But what I found, what I found, and again, it goes right back to Bill Barr and the weaponization of the Justice Department. Do you remember when um, somebody went into the FinCEN system? That's the Financial Crimes Network, the most guarded system in the United States. That's how you catch the Timothy McVeighs. That's how you catch the international terrorists and so on. This guy, Jonathan Fry, an IRS agent in San Francisco, went ahead, downloaded my information from his computer, put it in uh, one of these thumb drives into it, downloaded it, gave it to Michael Avenatti, who then gives it to Ronan Farrow, and then they start printing all the stuff. Interestingly enough, it wasn't just me as Michael Cohen. There was one Michael Cohen from Israel, another one from um, Canada, whose information got released. It took the FBI over a year before which they ended up bringing this guy, you know, in for questioning. And then another six months before they actually fully charged him and so on. You know why I say that? I bring that up because it goes right back to the weaponization. They knew who he was after 15 seconds from keystrokes. They knew exactly the computer. It's a bunch of bullshit. They can figure out Timothy McVeigh. They can figure out a guy who sends uh, pipe bombs in brown manila envelopes to members of Congress, right, uh, from Orlando with no return address. They could figure that all out in under 24 to 48 hours. But this one took them a year and a half on their own system with keystrokes. It's because that's what Bill Barr and that's what the Trump um, administration wanted to happen. And that's why I always go back to this weaponization and it's disgraceful and I'm off topic. Yeah, so well, let also, me just but, move but, on. But if, if I can just, I, I, know, I, I know I should be talking about my book, but the weaponization of um, the, the um, Justice Department one of the things that that Trump has always been very eff- effective at is accusing others of doing exactly what he has done. Um, and and you know, he's always accusing the the Justice Department of being weaponized against him. 
In fact, mm-hmm. he, he weaponized it against his political enemies like you who became one. It's called deflection. But, you yes. know, we, we brought up before this whole MAGA movement. And in all fairness, other than on Twitter and social media and shit, they really, they've really been quiet as of late. Now, for example, we see the Proud Boys are losing in court, right? Thousands of these insurrectionists um, either are or will end up doing time, right? Which you brought up. In your opinion, is this movement dying or is it just morphing into something else? Well, you know, I I think um, there is always ebb and flow in, in political movements in the United States. But if there's anything I learned from uh, writing Homegrown is that uh, the the penchant of right-wing extremists for violence is a constant in American life. There's a pretty long epilogue uh, in my book where I trace some of the right-wing violence, just some of it, from 1995 to the present, and, you know, up to and including January January 6th, uh, 2021. Um, I, I do think some of uh, the uh, extremists have been chastened by the uh, reaction of the FBI and the federal government to January 6th. They see how many people were prosecuted. And one thing I was pleased by was, uh, you know, when when Trump was arraigned on those charges uh, in, in, in New York County, um, a couple of weeks ago, um, there were not any sort of violent protests uh, against it because I think um, e- even the MAGA folks recognize that if they if they engage in violent protests like the January six rioters, um, they are they are going to be arrested. However, we should not be under the impression, the illusion that uh, this pension for violence is gone. Um, it it is there. Uh, it is perhaps receded somewhat uh, at the moment, but don't doubt, as as the FBI director has said, that the major threat of violence in American political life today is from right wing extremists. And you have a line in this book. Homegrown is phenomenal, and I certainly recommend to all of our listeners. It's a read. It's a it's a definite read because the parallel between McVeigh. And his ideology and what we're experiencing on a daily basis, it's so, it's, they're so eerily similar that it should scare the shit out of you. But you have a line in this book that really struck me. And you say, and I'm going to quote, the line that always haunts me from my research was McVeigh telling his lawyers, and here's the quote, there's an army out there, but I could just never find it. And the difference between then and now is the internet and social media. And people with extreme views can find each other easily now. That's the truth. That's that's a big difference. That that the, the presence of social media is is to me the major difference. And I'll tell you what really opened my eyes and frankly prompted me to write this book. It was in October of 2020 when the FBI brought down its case against uh, the the people in Michigan who tried to kidnap Governor Whitmer. And I started looking into that case, and I saw that the people behind it were affiliated with the Michigan militia. Because I had covered the McVeigh and Nichols case back in the 90s, I knew that Terry Nichols 
who was from Michigan, was affiliated with the Michigan militia. So uh -huh. I thought to myself, I know these people. And as I looked into it, not only were some of the ideas the same between the mid-90s and, and our current issue, some of the people were, were, the, were the same. But um, the difference was that the, the schemers to kidnap Governor Whitmer were able to use private Facebook chat rooms to, to do the planning. McVeigh didn't have social media. He knew, and he was right, that there was an army out there, but he would sort of stumble around at gun shows. He didn't know how to meet other people. He was not a particularly charismatic individual, so he never found his army. But what we have learned since then, especially during the Trump era, is that there is an army out there and they can be mobilized by social media. Yeah, I remember those days with it was Adam Fox and then there was that Barry Croft Jr., these two guys that orchestrated it. I mean, nothing for nothing, but, you know, they were prosecutors were looking for life. They got 16 years, you know, I mean, it's an awfully long time, but not if you look at the crime. I mean, it's I mean, you know, they it, were I, I, again, they were, it's they were going to do this. I mean, they were they had they had weapons. They they knew where um, the governor's vacation home was. Yeah. They were, uh, you know, doing surveillance. I mean, this was not just talk. This was an actual conspiracy uh, that that the FBI, thank goodness, um, exposed uh, before it could come to fruition. But this was a very and, serious and scary thing. Yep. And it goes right back to my statement that I said before, we have the greatest law enforcement in this in this world. And thank God for thank God for these guys. And thank God, actually, that we have someone like Joe Biden right now in the White House, a guy who is, you know, who has empathy and really wants to do the right thing, not looking to create an autocracy, you know, out of our democracy for himself, you know, and his and his family. It's very it's the whole thing is just fucked up now i want to move on and ask you this because because you know you're a veteran newsman and i'd like to hear your take on uh as we like to call him on this show fucker carlson's firing from fox right i mean his recent statement that he put out it was some crazy ass diatribe about how the deep state canceled him we go right back to the talking points right to my knowledge there is no deep state. Am I right about that? Well, I, I you know, look, I, I um, you know, journalists love to say, well, I knew that was going to happen. And I, I predicted that I was completely flabbergasted by the firing of Tucker Carlson. I had no idea that was coming. And um, anyone who tell, he, by and, the way. <laughs> and anyone who tells you that they knew they were coming. Um, I think, frankly, frankly, is, is full of it. He, he you know, Rupert Murdoch. Uh, that Fox News Network, the thing I can never get over with Fox News is they were putting out vaccine uh, misinformation that was actually yep. killing their audience. There are people who were dying because they were listening to Sucker Carlson and, and the rest of those uh, people on Fox News, which to me is frankly the lowest form of of journalist I can journalism that I can remember in my lifetime. So it's not like I think Rupert Murdoch and his son Lachlan, you know, were were suddenly um, so, uh, affected by conscience. I, I don't think they have conscience 
um, the way most decent people do in the United States. So if it wasn't conscious, what was it that led them to uh, to get rid of to get rid of, of Carlson? I think one thing they recognized, and I think they were probably correct about this, that um, as, as big as Tucker Carlson was, Fox News is the star of Fox News. People right. turn on Fox because they want their ideological precondition uh, preconceptions uh, ratified. They're going to get that from whoever is the replacement for Tucker Carlson. And, and so uh, I think Tucker um, was uh, a pain in the ass, it turns out, to, to the management there. Uh, he, he couldn't be managed properly. Some of his behavior, apparently, including how he treated women in the workplace, um, according to news reports, uh, was bad even by Fox News standards when you consider that Roger Ailes and and uh, Bill O'Reilly worked there. It must be some. It must be pretty bad. But um, I, I guess they just figured he he got too big for his britches, and they could make the same amount of money without him. But um, I, I have to tell you, I was I was really really shocked that they got rid of Tucker Carlson. But I well, don't. I'm not think- sure. I'm, listen, by, by the way, Jeffrey, I'm not sure yeah. people would just you know, tune back in regardless of who's taking over that spot. Could you imagine if if Fox gave me that spot? Well, but that's the thing. Fox <laughs> is not. But 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 the the, the what I think the they should recognized is that Fox News has an ideology that, you know, whether it's uh, Hannity or, or Carlson or Maria Bartiromo, I mean, it, it's it's across all the shows. And that's what people want. So, yes, the ratings for eight o'clock may go down, but they won't go down that much because whoever they put in will reflect the Fox ideology. Mm -hmm. And really what Murdoch's cold blooded, you know, firing style did is it turned around and it sort of um, sent a shot across the bow to all of their stars telling them, hey, guys, you're fucking expendable. All right. And, you know, and and knock your shit off because we'll shit can you like we did Tucker three seconds before, you know, after after what he called. Because I could see them getting rid of Bartiroma, too. But, Michael, the the phrase knock knock your shit off. What's unclear to me is what was the shit? Because they didn't care when when he was putting out vaccine misinformation. They didn't care when he was being a racist about immigration, they didn't care when um, he was lying about FBI He was using the C word or he was, yeah. but I, right, so, or so he was using the C word or talking nasty shit about the Murdochs or all of the uh, upper management. So, so, so the mystery to me, and I don't pretend to have the answer, is what was it that was beyond the pale for the Murdochs? Because so much was not beyond the pale. Yeah, and I believe... Knowing Rupert Murdoch as I do, and I do know Rupert, it's all about the money. There's no doubt in my mind that with all of these back-to-back lawsuits that are coming down on Fox News, that they decided, they sat down with paper and pencil, they figured out the numbers. Is all of this bullshit going to bankrupt the station? Is it possible you still have... You know, Smartmatic in the wings. You still have Abby Grossberg's lawsuit. You still have a whole slew of other lawsuits that are known and a whole bunch that are unknown. 
And 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 I think it, they turned worth, they made a calculated determination. Oh, it's I, I completely agree. It's about the money. And um, you know, Fox News is a big company, but it's not Exxon, it's not Walmart. It's a company that $787 million is a lot of money to them. Now, insurance may have covered some of it, but they are in an existential challenge at this moment. You know, if they are looking at another $787 million, as they, they are. well may, or, or or even more with Smartmatic, more. that is a, that is a um, you know, a, a serious challenge to the functioning of that business. And... Um, I, I agree that, um, I, I mean, I guess uh, they feel like getting rid of Carlson was some way of stemming that 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 sort of damage. But, you know, the, 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 unfortunately, the defamation has already taken place. So firing Carlson at this point, uh, I'm not sure how much good that does in, in the Smartmatic case, which is which is the next one on, on deck. You're right. It doesn't. But you know what it does? It stops future lawsuits Probably. and the way that he was operating. He was out of Probably. control. Now, look, you're also um, regularly seen on CNN, kind of like my, not, myself. Not anymore. Over I, have, I have left CNN. Well, I, I have left yes, CNN. Yes. But I, I'm, I'm going to be yeah. on again in connection with my book. And I'm, I'm out there and I'm talking on various shows. Yeah. So Don Lemon was also unceremoniously fired from CNN. And to be honest, as I watch it, and I'm watching less and less of it, CNN seems to be losing its personality. And I mean literally and figuratively. What do you think the future holds for CNN? What are they doing? I mean, when you start to see people like Ty Cobb on Aaron Burnett's show on a regular basis, and this is a guy who is still beholden to Trump. What are they doing? What are they thinking? Do they think that they're going to pick off some of Fox's, you know, um, uh, wanderers or people who no longer want to watch Fox because of all of the text messages and information that came out? What's well, going on well, over well, there? Well, let, let, you know, as for what's going on at CNN... I really can't tell you. I don't work there anymore. I, I'm not. I, I don't know. Have knowledge of behind the scenes. I would like to talk about Don Lemon for for a bit because Don is. You know, we we worked almost exactly the same number of years at CNN. Uh, I consider him a dear friend. I I am so so sorry uh, to see what happened to him. Uh, he is a good person and a good journalist. And some of the things he he's been accused of are completely unfair. You know, in in the in the um, in the lead up after he was fired, um, there were there have been references to this interview he did with the presidential Republican presidential candidate. Frankly, I forget his name. He he was a guy who was on Tucker Carlson all the time, who who was making claims about the civil rights movement that were just appalling and wrong. And Don called him out on it, and that to me was just good journalism. And the idea that Don was be criticized for that uh, is 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 completely unfair. So I am very, very sorry um, to see what um, uh, to see Don gone from CNN. He did say that thing about women in their prime. Um, yes. that was a mistake. And uh, he is a, he apologized for it. And, you know, going back to the beginning of, of, of our, our conversation, you know, one thing I have always believed, not not just uh, after I got in trouble or you got in trouble, is that, you know, when people make mistakes, not every crime deserves the death penalty. You know, people do screw up. And um, Don screwed up. 
and he apologized. And I don't think we should live in a society where one strike uh, and, you, and you're out. Um, so, you know, as for what's going on in CNN, I, I, you know, I'd rather not talk about what I don't know about. Mm-hmm. I, I, am, yeah, I, I am rooting for CNN. I love tw- working there for 20 years. I left with a smile on my face. Uh, and and I want CNN to prosper and, and do great. Okay, amen to that one. So let me then ask you, because the other day, um, President Biden announced uh, through a video that he's going to be running again in 2024. How do you feel about that? How did you feel about that announcement video? You know, give me the Jeffrey Tubin on this one. Well, you know, the the it was uh, it, it was a very slickly produced um very, I thought, well done announcement video. Um, Joe Biden has a lot to be proud of um, for his, uh, you know, first two plus years in office. He's, uh, you know, tamed the tamed the the pandemic. Uh, he's gotten an infrastructure deal that will benefit the country for decades to come. Um, the economy is is in pretty good shape. Unemployment is at historic lows. He has a lot he can he can. Uh, tell the country um, that uh, gives him uh, the right to be, to, to be reelected. He's really old. He is really old, uh, and yeah. uh, I think that is going to that's going to be a challenge. Old. Well, you know, I mean, he does and he doesn't. He I mean, I, I you know, I, everybody does. can have a uh, you know, have a different opinion in, uh, about that. I don't think I don't think he acts that old. I think he walks kind of old. He walks in a, like like a bit of an old man. But, you know, when I hear him speak, you know, at the State of the Union or answering questions, uh, he, he doesn't sound like a, um, you know, like someone who is diminished um, cognitively. I didn't to, say I didn't say no. diminished. OK, he just he hey. he acts old. Well, I mean, you right? know, and how, how do he is. act? They're old. I mean, right. <laughs> Right. Well, unless unless you're unless you're someone like Trump, who, you know, who's not too many years younger and what he's trying to do and what the Republicans are trying to do is to show the distinction. On one side, you have a guy that's fighting like an animal, like a 20 year old. On the other side, you have a guy who's I'll tell you what I didn't like about the announcement. Tell me. I found it was hard. I, I found it was hard to hear. You know, Joe is a very soft spoken guy. Whereas you got this ball of boost, right? This Trump, you know, who's, you know, over the top, you know, angry and gregarious and all that, you know, not with Biden. And he was like, you know, and, and it will, and, it was, and, you know, he, he had, I, I hate to say good fortune, but it, politically it was good fortune when he campaigned in 2020 there because of COVID, he basically didn't have to go around very much. Um, right. He's now going to have to campaign in, in a more traditional way. Let's let's see how he does. But let me give you a, an analogy that I think may be useful. Um, the, the Fetterman campaign in Pennsylvania during mm-hmm. uh, uh, the, the 2022, you know, Fetterman had a stroke. He was obviously a diminished person. I don't. I don't know if you remember or you watched the debate between oh, I uh, watched Fetterman it. and Dr. Oz. I mean, it was sort of painful to watch because Fetterman uh, w- was so diminished. But what happened? Fetterman won anyway because the country is so polarized. They would rather have a diminished Democrat who believes in abortion rights, who believes that global warming is a real thing. 
you know, who believes mm -hmm. in, in, you know, that, that rich people don't need more tax cuts, that that the policy issues are so profoundly different between the parties that the personal characteristics of the uh, candidates matter less. And that may happen in this presidential race, too. It's true that presidents are different from senators. People have a much more visceral personal connection to presidents. But, but you know, if Joe Biden stumbles over words in the campaign, I don't think people are going to care that much if they think, well, you know, the other guy's going to make abortion illegal in the whole country. And I don't particularly care if Joe Biden speaks, stumbles over a word. So I think the issues um, are, are going to be especially salient this year um, in, because of how polarized the, the, the country is. And the, those of us in the news media are going to, you know, be watching Biden every second. Does he show signs of mm -hmm. age, et cetera? I, I think the issues are, are so profoundly different between the parties that that that's going to that's going to be a big factor. Yeah, except with over 350 million Americans in this country, you would think that our options should be greater. Like, I, you know, I was out with some friends last night and they turned around. And they said to me, where is our Zelensky? Where's our Zelensky? Right. And so on. They're out there. They just don't have the opportunity. Our system is really screwed up. It's automatically, you know, Biden gets the nod and so on, unless you want to be a spoiler and go after him, which nobody really wants to do because you're going to look like a terrible human being. So they're going to wait for the next cycle when it's an open race. It's not right. And, you know, one of the things that people are also saying, which I don't understand, um, we are very afraid to vote for Biden, because if something happens to him, God forbid, we now have Kamala as our president and they don't like her. She's almost like the same as Hillary Clinton. People, for whatever the reasons, and I don't understand it, but people don't like her. And I my am, biggest am, fear I, is going to be go apathy at the polls. That's my biggest fear, that there will be apathy um, at the polls. Uh, you know, one of the things about 2020 was uh, the turnout was enormous. There was not a lot of apathy. And I don't think there's going to be apathy in, in 2024. I, I think if the at this moment, it looks like it's going to be a rerun of Biden against about Trump. Given the stakes of that difference, uh, I don't think there's going to be any apathy. I think, uh, I mean, not any, but I think very little apathy. Uh, because uh, the stakes will be so enormous. Because think about it, like, what would a second Trump administration be? Because at that, you know, when, when Trump took office the first time, a lot of traditional Republicans said, well, let's give him a chance. Maybe he'll be a serious right. person. Now, you know, it's going to be all Michael Flynn. It's going to be all Stephen Miller. It's going to be the extreme of the extreme because mm -hmm. they're the only people who want anything to do with them. So let me ask you this then. You think that Biden has dealt correctly with Kevin McCarthy? Because it always seems to me like Biden treats Kevin like his wayward son, right? Is there any way that the two sides will resolve, say, uh, the debt ceiling issue without tanking the economy? Boy, I, I certainly hope someone has an idea because uh, I, it, it looks like a very perilous course that we're on. When you look at uh, McCarthy's constituency, would you look at how extreme the uh, Republican conference is in the House of Representatives and, the, and, and what they are trying to extract 
from Biden uh, in, in return for not tanking the economy. It, it is a, a, a very extreme uh, agenda when, you know, and, and as everyone knows, when Trump was president, the, the same people all raised the debt ceiling without without a word, yep. without a word of three complaint. times, but but three times, but usually in politics, there is some sort of route to a compromise that seems apparent. And it, even if it takes a few months or weeks to get there, it's, you know, you, you sort of know where everything is going. I don't know where things are going on the debt ceiling. I mean, it, it, it is a very scary prospect. And I hope that uh, someone has a, an, an idea of how to get from point A to point B. But I certainly don't see it yet at this point. Yeah, I'd like to see Biden figure out how to do something. I don't care if it's by executive order. None of that means anything because that's what Trump would do. He would turn around. He would figure out a way to use an executive order and he would he would just run rough shot right over Congress. Well, and, and you, you know what? You don't want to you don't want to you want to think I'm going to let you on my watch tank the United States economy. And he would just start doing executive orders. You want fuck you, sue me and then we'll just defend it and so on. In the and, meantime, I'm spending the money. And you know what? That might that might be the right thing to do. And and there are various scenarios involving the 14th Amendment or, or, or minting a platinum coin or whatever it is that uh, yep. will allow Biden to work unilaterally. Obviously, he doesn't want to give up his negotiating power by mentioning at this point. But certainly. Um, avoiding tanking the economy has to be the the, the top goal. And yeah. um, well, I, I just I just don't know how how Biden is going to do that. But um, I almost feel I, I almost, almost feel like the way. Democrats. There's there's like no cojones with the Democratic Party. You don't see shit coming out of Garland. You know, you can't get him to do anything. You know, Joe is doing great things, but he's doing great things that people don't even know about. That's the whole thing. Everybody knows about this debt ceiling now, and everyone's worried about it. We're seeing that in the market. And so he should figure out how to do something. Got to be a little bit, I hate to say it, got to be a little more Trumpian. Right. I, and, I, I was and thinking, you be, as you were saying that, I was, I was thinking, you know, that that might be the, the, the right way to approach this is, is a, you yeah. know, a little a little bit Trumpian. And then you turn around on top of that. Say, for example, you got Jim Jordan. Right. I mean, <laughs> Jimbo over here, he's gearing up for the Hunter Biden investigation. And there are all these varying accounts regarding, you know, Hunter that paint him as guilty of something. But so far, I haven't seen shit. They, nobody's been able to verify anything. All I keep hearing about is Hunter's laptop, Hunter's laptop. <laughs> but so far, nothing has come out of it. Do you well, know if there's any, you know, there there to this, you know, to this story? Well, you know, one thing we know for sure is that um, when Joe Biden replaced all the U.S. attorneys in the country, as a new president always does, the one he left in place was the guy who was investigating. It was the Trump appointee who's investigating That's uh, right. Hunter Biden. So if there's a case to be made, it will be it, it will be made. But so far. It's just a Fox News obsession um, that is of very little interest to the whole country. Hunter Biden has obviously had a tumultuous life uh, with addiction and, and, and all sorts of other problems. But 
Um, whether he committed any crime is unknown. And more importantly, whether Joe Biden was complicit in anything at the moment, there is no evidence that I'm aware of. And if even if there was a crime that um, Hunter Biden committed and there's no evidence connecting Joe Biden to it, what difference does it make? Who cares? I mean, it's unfortunate for 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 by the way, right, Hunter Biden. But who cares? All of a sudden, everybody's like, "Oh my God!" You know, Hunter Biden was on Burisma's um, board of directors. Okay, Ivanka was on the board of directors for Trump Entertainment Resorts. Right? Who gives a shit? And, and it, as far as I'm concerned, as long as you don't, yeah, when a president's relatives, whether it's Donald Nixon. Or, uh, you know, George Herbert Walker Bush's Neil Bush son, the president's relatives have profited off their connections uh, for generations in this country. It's not pretty. Mm -hmm. It's not admirable. But it is something that has gone on over and over again. It's not illegal. Um, and it, it's it's kind of sleazy, but it's not something that has had any particular impact on the public. And, and I think, you know, the Republicans are, 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 you know, listening, unfortunately for them, too much to each other, hyping themselves up about Hunter Biden yep. when the country doesn't really give a shit. Yeah. So look, as a legal scholar, you have now the Supreme Court is in serious trouble. The Supreme Court is at its absolute lowest rating in terms of public opinion. On top of Clarence Thomas, on top of you know all of the other um, all the other bullshit that's going on there. Now Neil Gorsuch has just been exposed for his ethical missteps. And to those people that don't know what it is, it appears that the head of a law firm that actually practices in front of the Supreme Court bought property from Gorsuch nine days after he was confirmed, right? I mean, this stuff is just amazing. Is there a remedy for the current corrupt iteration of this court? And because shame doesn't seem to work on the justices, what could they do? You know what? The, the answer is not much. I mean, the, the, the Supreme Court has insulated itself from any sort of meaningful scrutiny. The only thing you can do to discipline a Supreme Court justice is impeach him or her. And, you know, that's that 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 is an extreme remedy that is not going to happen, especially when the House of Representatives is under uh, Republican control. You know, I am I mean, I think the ethics of, of Thomas are are appalling, but I am much more concerned about the substance of Supreme Court opinions and the rulings they are making and, and the way they are imposing a, um, a a minority regime, you know, policies that are opposed by most Americans. They are making virtually any kind of gun safety law impossible. They are making abortion, uh, allowing abortion to be illegal in much of the country. They are uh, limiting the federal government's ability to regulate and and uh, uh, improve the environment uh, on pollution cases, abortion, guns, the environment. They are imposing a political agenda that is opposed 
by uh, most of the American people because Donald Trump and and through the good offices of Mitch McConnell managed to get three appointments through uh, yeah. in his single term. And that to me is the is is a greater threat to the country than Clarence Thomas's really appalling uh, See, ethics. Let me tell you what I would do if I was if I was president, or if I was running. The first thing I would turn around and say to the American people, I don't give two shits what anybody else says. I'm adding four more justices to the Supreme Court. So it's no longer nine. Now it's going to be 13. Fuck you, Gorsuch. Fuck you, Clarence Thomas. Right. I don't give a shit what you have to say. You know, fight me again in the court of law. I don't care. But in the meantime, there's four more people on the Supreme Court. We will then overturn the Dobbs decision that puts Bivens back into play. It puts Roe v. Wade back into play. No more of this nonsense. There's just too much government in your bedroom. That's just my opinion. But again... Democrats don't want to fight this way. It's like, well, we're going to do it the nice way. You know, the Michelle Obama type of way, right? You go low, we go high. Bullshit. It doesn't work that way because what happens, it just doesn't work that way. The hour goes by really, really fast, Jeff. I have one last question sure. for you. So Ron DeSantis, or as we like to call him here, Death Santis, <laughs> is losing donors. And Trump is going to be in court basically during the entire 2024 election cycle. So let's count both of these two assholes out for a second. Republicans are waiting to see how voters will respond to Trump, the felon, right? Who else do you think might get the nomination? Who else is there on the Republican side? Wow, it's, it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's hard to know. I mean, the, the two from South Carolina are, are, you know, Nikki Haley, the, the former governor, Tim Scott, the senator, um, you know, I think they are they are deeply obscure figures to most Americans at this point. Yep. Uh, Asa Hutchinson, the governor of 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 um, of former governor of Arkansas, uh, uh, is, Arkansas uh, yeah. is is a candidate. Um, you know, you know who it's not going to be. It's not going to be Chris Christie because Chris Christie is pro-choice on abortion. That party is organized around uh, opposition to abortion rights. It's just th that a, a person like Chris Christie or um, the, the Sununu, the governor of New Hampshire, also pro-choice, they have no chance. I mean, zero chance, because that party is committed to taking abortion rights away from American women. So you can just write them off. But I would guess that Haley or Scott would be the, uh, the, the likeliest alternative but to be honest, Michael, I don't think there is going to be an alternative. I think it's going to be Trump or DeSantis, and we're going to have to see how the how the campaign plays out. But at the moment, you know, it looks like your former boss is sitting pretty in the in the in the race for the Republican mm -hmm. nomination. Well, as soon as I finish with this podcast, I'm running over to the Polish embassy to go get a Polish passport. You know, I'll go back to my old roots, you know, or maybe I'll go to Israel, right? Wherever, wherever they have to give me a passport. You're going to make it, oh yeah. Right. Uh, exactly. Well, listen, Jeffrey, it's All so right, good pal. to speak to you. It's good to see you again, my friend. Congratulations on the book to everybody, homegrown. Uh, it's Timothy McVeigh and the Rise of Right Wing uh, Extremism. Phenomenal, phenomenal book. It's actually so good, it'll scare you. So you have to read it during the day, uh, not at nighttime, before you put your head down. Jeffrey, I thank you. I wish you all the best. And do me a favor, my friend. Stay in touch, okay? It's a deal, Michael. Thank you. Be well. Bye. And now for today's mea culpa. 
This week in Washington, a woman who damn near died in Texas because of their draconian abortion laws spoke before Congress. And do you know who left the hearings moments into her testimony? Her own senators, Ted Cruz and John Cornyn. They couldn't be bothered to hear about the pain and suffering that they support in Texas. So they took a break. I mean, maybe Ted went back to Cancun. Maybe went out to lunch or caught a movie. I don't know. But the least that they could have fucking done was hear that the woman out. At this point, the whole world knows that the Dobbs decision is pretty much always a political loser. But they cling to it like they care about babies. Well, guess what? They don't. But they do care about controlling women's bodies and minds if they could. But women don't seem to be rolling over as easily as they like. The Senate GOP may have blocked a joint resolution to ratify the Equal Rights Amendment last week, even though it was sponsored by GOP Senator Lisa Murkowski of Alaska. She and what's-her-name Collins were the only two Republicans to vote for the amendment. After however many decades it's been kicked around Congress, you're not going to give women equal rights in the Constitution. I mean, really? That's your thought? Republicans, that's what you're thinking, and you want women to vote for you? Women are falling away from the Trump camp in droves too, and it looks like they don't like Ron DeSantis either. They are even floating the preposterous idea that Trump and DeSantis would somehow team up in 2024 like Fat Man and Boy Blobbin, and they would still need women to vote for them, which I assume, I mean, who the hell knows what they're up to? That is, if they don't take the vote away from women first. Now, I'm only half kidding, but the good news is that in South Carolina, the state Senate just rejected a near total abortion ban after the chamber's five female lawmakers led a multi-day filibuster against the bill. Republican women joined with Democrats to get the job done, and good for you. And it's a big deal. If women in both parties get together and proclaim game over, Republicans cling to their anti-abortion blankets will be left out in the cold. People like fucker Carlson had everything to do with his terrible treatment of his female colleagues. I mean, you can't call your boss the C-word and expect a whole lot of special favors. The lawsuit being brought against Fox by former employee Abby Grossberg is sending shockwaves through the corporation. Like it hasn't happened to them over and over. Women come forward, men get fired. It's just how they do it at Fox. But this time is different. It's said that the younger Murdochs are starting to see the fake news operation not as a plus, but as a liability and that they plan to sell the toxic asset when Rupert dies or hand them the reins. So when daddy dies, it's rumored Lachlan and James Murdoch will cut ties with Fox and laugh all the way to the bank. Now, if it sounds a whole like the finale of the HBO show Succession, it might not be an accident. In Vegas, the odds on favorite to win at the end of the series is the sister that they keep trying to push aside. I'm just saying, guys, you better watch your backs and keep supporting women. That's what you need to do. And as always, my friends, thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. Written by Jimmy Jelinek and Paula Killen. 
Our editor and managing producer is Lisa Orkin. Our executive producers are Jared Gustad, Jimmy Jelinek, and myself, Michael Cohen, along with Phil Alberstadt. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is still winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, I promise you, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Maya Culpa, nothing but the truth. 